Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. And my name is Jeremy Swingle. And this is episode 64 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 64, as you heard from our intro, we are welcoming back our regular guest, uh, Jeremy uh, Swingle. He's no longer special. He's just regular uh, because he's uh, here too many times. Uh, So in this uh, special episode 64, where we uh, have our returning regular guest, Jeremy, uh, back with us, we are going to have an internationals update. Uh, Hopefully I can start saying that without pausing quite as much as when I say that, but we'll talk a little bit about the upcoming meet known as that. We're going to talk about how to prepare for and answer reference questions. We'll talk a little bit about quizzing evangelism, how to do it, different effective or maybe ineffective ways and some theory behind it. And then we're going to be talking a lot about material year differences. We are sort of not quite yet done with Hebrews Peter, although mostly done with it, just one meet left to go. And then we'll be moving into Matthew. So we'll be talking about kind of the difference be- differences between the uh, both epistle and, and, and narrative years, uh, uh, but also the difference just specifically between Hebrews Peter versus Matthew and some particulars about Matthew and various other topics that relate to that. All right. So with that said, let's go into the internationals update. So the, um, let's say probably, I think sometime last week, uh, Zachary Tinker, who is the meat director for internationals, uh, sent out a invitation survey or an intention to be invited, I guess, survey to, uh, various district coordinators across the universe. And so far we have, uh, let's see, five districts who have completed this survey. Basically, this is not so much a registration, but it's it's basically these districts have said, yes, indeed, we are going to send teams to internationals. Uh, and of course, that includes Pacific Northwest, yay us, uh, Metro, Western Canada, Central Canada, and South Atlantic. And there are some additional uh, districts that have confirmed uh, either through email or, you know, through phone calls and Skype calls and so forth. And, and they've confirmed that they are going to uh, they have the intent to intend to participate, but they haven't actually filled out the survey yet. And so those districts are Great uh, Great Lakes, Western Pennsylvania, uh, Eastern Canada, and Western Great Lakes. So if you are uh, one of the district coordinators or one of the leaders from those four districts, make sure that you fill out your intention to participate survey before the deadline, which is Saturday, June 6th. It's only, what, six days away, five days away. Uh, if you, however, are from a district that I did not mention, uh, either in either of those two groups, make sure you talk to your district coordinator and or other leaders within your district and pester them politely but relentlessly, never ceasing, that they should make their intention of participation known for the meet upcoming known as internationals. All right. So with that topic out of the way, let's move on to a listener question, which is how to prepare for and answer reference questions. So I'm going to kick this over to Scott and Jeremy, both of whom were international internationals. See, I'm doing it wrong now. (laughs) Both of whom were international uh, Bible quizzers. So guys, why don't you start with like how to prep for, and then let's talk about how to answer as a second thing. How would you guys prep for reference questions? You want to start Jeremy? Yeah. Uh, 
for sure. Well, there's one major thing that you want to do to prep for reference questions of both the chapter only and the chapter and verse types. And I mean, it's pretty obvious, but you actually need to know the references. Um, So that's a huge part of your study. Um, To answer reference questions accurately, you're going to need to be able to pull out references quickly. And of course, for chapter verse references, you, you need to be able to pull up that verse in your head within a reasonable amount of time of those 30 seconds so that you're going to be able to answer the question and give the question uh, quickly. So, I mean, there's lots of things we could talk about when it comes to how to prepare well and memorize the references, but I think that's a good starting point. Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's helpful to talk through what reference questions are, and I think people overcomplicate them because at the end of the day, they're just interrogatives. Like, that's all. But normal interrogatives, if you get five words of the question, the first five words, it can only exist in one spot in the material. Whereas a chapter reference, if you get the first five words and a chapter, it can only exist once, given those two pieces of information. And then with a chapter verse reference, given a chapter and a verse and a phrase, um, that can only exist once. So it's just an interrogative question, but it's vaguer, so we give you more information via either the chapter number or the chapter and verse number. And people will often talk about them like they're this alien question type or very different, and they're just interrogatives. Um, But because they appear more than once, we have to tell you a little bit more information about them. And to what Jeremy said, you of course have to know references. And I think you, you absolutely have to, when given a reference, recall the verse and be able to start quoting it within five seconds at an absolute maximum. Um, but something closer to two seconds is better because that will enable you to utilize all of the tools um, at your discretion, like quoting backwards and quoting by phrases and pausing for the quiz master. But if you take um, 16 seconds to start quoting a verse, then you do not have all of those tools at your disposal. And perhaps, Scott, it would be useful to distinguish between like um, different levels of competition on reference questions. So if we're talking about, um, say, just a prelim quiz within districts, and there's maybe only a few quizzers in the quiz who are really jumping competitively, then you might get a few words out of the reference question. Um, in which case, you know, maybe you can, maybe you don't have the material down perfect with references, but you can use your knowledge of the material to kind of figure out the answer. So if it's some vague chapter verse reference, like he will what, but, uh, and you don't know the reference, but you know, oh, that's kind of toward the end of the chapter, then you have to make decisions like, is there another he will what that I, I don't know where it is in that chapter? Should I jump on it anyways? But of course, that's a totally different ballgame than at internationals or internationals, um, where you're only jumping on the reference on CVRs. Definitely. And I think, like at the district level, there's probably only going to be a handful of quizzers jumping very, very aggressively on reference questions. And so if you're, say, a key verse specialist, um, it could be that in a short chapter you can get chapter references because you get a couple words of them. And then you're really not having to guess the question at all. Because if you get the beginning of a question, you have a pretty good idea of how it's going to end, even if you don't get to there. So um, I think it's helpful to to decide and kind of know what level of competition you're up against, right? If you're, well, I'm primarily a key verse specialist, but I want to get some other question types, so I'm going to memorize extra verses in a few chapters, and I'm fine getting a handful of reference questions a meet. Well, then great. You don't have to know references of everything. Um, Maybe if you're just jumping on chapter references, you don't even have to know the verse references, right? On the other hand, if you want to 
average above a 30 at internationals on reference questions, then you better know every single verse with the reference and be able to start quoting it within two seconds. And, you know, just be realistic about what it is you're going after. So when you guys were preparing for quiz meets and you're trying to memorize references, were you memorizing references? Why? Like, how did you do that? Like, like, how did you encode the reference with the material? Did you always memorize the reference kind of like at the same time that you were memorizing the material? Did you do the material first and then come back and add references? Um, and what were some like like pros and cons from either approach? Well, you definitely don't want to add the references later because for, for two reasons. One is it'll, you know, it's just extra work to do to do it later. <laughs> um, but, but for a second, it's actually helpful when memorizing the material to use the references as a natural break because the human mind... Uh, remembers things a lot better when you break things up into chunks. A lot of research has been done on that. So if you're quoting through and you say, oh, Hebrews 1.1, blah, 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 blah. Hebrews 1.2, blah, 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 blah. Um, that's helping you break those things into chunks in your brain. So it's not only is it quicker for the on the reference side of things, but it's quicker just recalling the text of Scripture itself if you do it um, as you memorize. Um, so that's my thoughts on that particular question. I think that like words and pictures and visuals are always more, um, they bring memories back quicker, right? Like if I say, oh, Griffin, remember that time you were on the boat and it was a thunderstorm? Like you'll remember that way faster than if I was like, do you remember June 19th at 5.34 p.m. in 2009? You know, um, and because, and that translates to quizzing, right? If you're, if you're given a reference, it's harder to remember than if you're given the first couple words of the verse or even... A, a vague description of what the verse is talking about, right? So I think it's it's dif it's more difficult, which is why I always treated the reference as part of the verse every time. So whenever I was reading the material, I would say Hebrews one one, Hebrews one two, Hebrews one three, and then I would say the verse, so that hearing the reference was my trigger for recall. Um, and that's how I would always quiz myself. You know, I would have flashcards of all the verse. Uh, chapter and verse numbers, and so I would just pick one out at random. First Peter three four, and I would, can I start quoting it within three within two seconds and get it right? And then Hebrews eleven seventeen, and just drill, drill, drill on only the reference. So that was my recall. Um, two other stories I can think of. I knew of a quizzer who quizzed with me who would memorize every fifth verse to start. Verse 1, verse 5, verse 10, verse 15, verse 20, verse 25. And then they had these kind of signpost verse numbers that helped them get to verse numbers in between. And that was one way of memorizing references that worked for them. And then my last story is, so when I started out as a quizzer, I did not memorize references. I just memorized the material, no references. And then I went to Great West, and everyone was jumping on reference questions, on just the reference and quotes and stuff, and getting them right. And I was like, what is this sorcery? So this was Corinthians year. So after Great West, there was a couple, I think it was actually about four weeks before district championships, I added in the references to First Corinthians. That's what I had time for. And then just had the time of my life jumping on just the reference, on reference questions at district championships. I was like, well, this is so easy because so few quizzers want to do this. So, I mean, I think it can be done that you can add in references. If you have the choice when starting out, it's way easier to just memorize references with the verse when you're starting out. Um, but if you're, like, starting out a year just memorizing the material and then at some point you want to add references, I think it, you can do that. 
I've, for me, I've tried adding references to material that I've already memorized and it's really hard for me. I, I, but, but so like for, for me, if there's, if I have any hope of remembering the references, I have to memorize the reference along with the verse and actually almost preceding the verse, like, like say, okay, this is one, one, and then start hitting the verse. This is one, two and start hitting the verse. But one of the things that I noticed was, and I haven't tried, I have, I have not tried the, you know, the one, five, 10 trick i just basically start sequentially from the beginning of the verse um because i guess for me i need sort of the context i need the flow between the verses to kind of fit for it to work a little bit better but one of the things that i that that i encountered is the um i i, I wouldn't have those that that one five ten signpost thing but n the natural narrative of the material would sort of lend itself to signpost verses so like in james chapter one i know verse one and i know verse two like i can go straight to those verses and i can go to and i can go straight to verse five off of a reference but if you if you said like quote verse four four, there's a pretty good chance I might start quoting in three. Like I couldn't, I couldn't exactly, even though I memorized, you know, verse three with the reference, like I've, I've lost the ability to target three, whereas I can target one, two, and five just fine. I don't exactly know why, but I, I maybe the, the nature of the language allows is more prevalent connected to a beginning or something so I can target those verses. But like, have you guys ever encountered that sort of phenomenon? And if so, how would you counter it? Well, that's interesting. You brought that up Griffin because I was independently thinking the exact same thing when Scott was telling that story about the quizzer who would do that. Um, I definitely, when I quizzed myself, um, I only really studied the references hard in my last year of quizzing but I found that I wouldn't even need to designate signpost verses. Verses would just come to me. As I was working on my reference recall, I would just find that for whatever reason, in this chapter, this one verse sticks out. Um, and I always remember it without having to work really hard at it. And I, f I find that the, the task of, um, is even when you put it just this way, the task of memorizing the exact verse starts of hundreds of different verses is super intimidating. Just the idea of that kind of makes you shudder like oh my gosh it's just a bunch of like random random numbers how am i supposed to know how the verse starts um so i think for me it was helpful to think in terms of like where paragraphs begin and um where ideas start in chapters uh and i think if, as i would do that certain verses would pop out to me as the ones that i can start from and then you know if i have to go down three verses then i just need to know the material well enough that the process of going down three verses only takes a couple seconds in my brain. And that's how I would get to that, you know, figuring out the verse within five seconds. I just drilled and drilled so that I could just, it would just, I would almost automatically start quoting it within a couple seconds because I knew how nervous I would get at meets and I would put tons and tons of pressure on myself. And so I needed the recall to be as unconscious as possible where I wasn't relying on being able to think of a verse nearby and then move to this one or anything. Like I just needed to like be able to start quoting it on command. Um, and that's what I, what I really worked towards. I think if any verses were more memorable, it was because of characteristics like the wording flowed a lot or it had lots of memorable words or it wasn't repetitive um, rather than um, any more meaning in a verse. And I think that because I used references as a way to recall a verse, that's one reason that I um, I preferred epistles 
um, as material to compete on than Gospels. Because so many verses in the Gospels start with just like he said or they said or they answered, which makes it harder to recall the verse, right? When um, it takes a while to get into something unique. All right. So with putting prep for a side for a moment, now imagine you're in a meet, let's say a, a, a regular district meet, that sort of thing. Or, you know, if, if there's something a little bit different, I mean, speed is going to be different, but is, is there strategy differences between the different meets for reference questions? And how would you, what sort of strategies would you deploy in answering reference questions? So are we starting with like the district level or the international level or just you, any? You start wherever you want to start. So one thing I want to say about the internationals level when it comes to uh, reference questions is that unlike other question types, you don't necessarily need to make a list of every question and study it the same way that you might do if you wanted to be the best quizzer at finish the verse questions. Um, because so, so often you can get the answer just by knowing the verse well. So you might want to consider, I've, I've seen a lot of quizzers do CVR lists um, that may or may not be the best use of your time. And you need to figure that out, you know, depending on your own ability um, for answering reference questions on the fly, thinking about, you know, what other ways could I spend my time studying? However, that being said, I will say this, it is very worth studying a list of multiple answer chapter references and chapter verse references. The main reason being that sometimes those can be really tricky to get on the fly with CVRs, sometimes you have to quote different parts of the verse in a certain order in order to get the correct question when you're prompted for your question. And then with multiple answer chapter references where you're going to get part of the question in your jump, uh, the reason to study a list of those is that it's often super knowable on the very first syllable. And then you can know which chapters you can just fly on and get one syllable and get it right. And that's a huge advantage. So uh, MA lists for references are fantastic. For non-MA references, um, that's a bit more of a depends on the situation thing. Yeah, and w when I prepared for inter internationals on reference questions, I went really, really, really deep. So because I wanted to know um, what are the really long possible reference questions, you know, the phrase that appears twice, but it's like a 12-word question or an 8-word question. Um, because that's not something I'm going to be able to pull out on the fly because it doesn't look like a reference question, right? It's not therefore what or he will what. Um, so that was one reason that I would like to write questions. I would also write questions so that I knew which are the problem verses. So then I could say, oh, in my question set, this is the verse with the most CVRs that I've written. And I could then look at the verse and say, do I have to be strategic about how I quote this or can I just simply go back to front? Um, I would also look for groupings in the material. So in gospel years, when there's um, chapters in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, you have to be really careful jumping on just the um, verse number because the jumping is very aggressive and you can get just get stuck with the twent or the third or the four where you have 10 verses to guess from or nine if you've caught the inflection. Um, and in that scenario, I need to know like, oh, in Matthew 11, the 20s actually don't have a whole lot and I can be a little more aggressive than I normally would when normally I would hold back quite a bit. Um, so those are some reasons that I would write questions. I think for chapter references, I think that is the hardest question type at international's speed because the speed is often a syllable or a half syllable. And so many of those are not unique. There could be five or more in a chapter, often out of context. Um, but that said, when, when you have a question set that has multiple writers and multiple editors, I get the feeling that it will end up 
not necessarily being overweight with the obvious questions, but it will for sure have the obvious questions. And so, like, I mean, one of the best performances I've ever seen at internationals was Josiah on chapter references back in 2015, 2016, something. Um, and he knew for every chapter, like, oh, what is written is the chapter reference. Or um, I can't remember any other, like, obvious chapter reference structures off the top of my head. But, like, he knew. And so he would jump on a chapter, jump on TH or um, W, like a what. And he knew, I'm going to go guess the what is written first. <laughs> and he was most often right because um, those questions are absolutely going to be in there. But you might not get every possible what man, what resurrection, what word um, chapter reference question. So I think if you want to write reference questions, there's a lot to be gained of purely just writing them and like understanding, oh, why is this one valid? Why is this one not valid? Why is this one the multiple answer? Why is this one not? Why is this one a chapter reference? This one's a chapter verse reference. And that's helpful. But at the end of the day, um, it is unlikely that you have an exhaustive list of reference questions just because there's so many possible ones that can be written. Um, and probably um, there's more, like for interrogatives, I think there's in general, a, a good, like, you can kind of understand where a question's going to start. But for chapter verse references, like, yeah, you could probably write 10 in every verse that no one would bat an eye on and think that they're terrible or something. Um, and so it's not, it's not like finish the verse questions where you can have a list and say, like, oh, I know if I jump on an R, there's three. Well, it's not that way for chapter verse reference questions. But you can still be very familiar with the material. The potential questions are going to be asked, um, where there are groupings, where there are question deserts, especially chapter reference-wise. And then to what Jeremy said about multiple answers, yeah, because they can be tricky, especially chapter verse reference, multiple answers. But um, there's just not that many of them. And so you can be so aggressive. Like if you know Hebrews, like a short chapter in Hebrews, Hebrews 5, maybe it's got two CVRMAs in it and the verses start, um, the numbers start way different. And you can just be so aggressive jumping on that with really low risk. And that is where you can gain tons and tons of points. Cool. If you really want to be inducted into the annals of Bible quizzing history, find some chapter that only has two MACRs that are within five verses of each other, and then just jump on the chapter on an MACR, and man, just knock it out of the park. <laughs> Start quoting, get to the end of the first one. If they don't ask you for your question, go to the other one. Like, yeah, you'll get some applause at internationals if you do that. But that aside, I think um, with CVRs, so, you know, you, you've jumped, um, and I think we've been talking about things like what is written super common the ones that all question writers are going to notice and ask there's some others that are like that things like very truly i tell you what therefore what um i mean yeah th those are some others there's, there's tons of them i can't think of them all right now of course if you're doing chapter verse references it's just as simple as he is what or they are what those sorts of questions uh question writers are always looking for when it comes to these. So no matter what level you're at, if you're at districts and you get a few syllables on your CVR or you're at internationals and you're always just going off of the verse number, it's really good to, you know, you, you've located your verse. Now it's time to kind of survey the verse in your head and think, oh, are there really any obvious ones that pop out to me? Does the verse say it is written? He will blah, 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 blah. Well, then, you know, then you're immediately thinking, OK, the question might be what is written. And then, then that'll help you figure out how you're going to quote the verse to get at what the question might be when they're going to ask you for your question. Um, so, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Like, like um, I mean, there's the, the the often recited rule, well, not rule, guideline suggestion of of quoting backwards. Yeah, uh, quoting backwards. So for for the uninitiated, quoting backwards is a strategy when 
on a, C- a CVR, all you have to go on is the verse number. Um, and so all you know is this is in this verse, Hebrews 2, 3, or whatever. Uh, and then uh, people often find it helpful to quote backwards. And the reason for that is that uh, sometimes sometimes you'll get caught. Like, let's say the verse says, it is written, he will uh, go to heaven and will, you know, petition God or whatever. Um, and you're thinking, okay, it could be what is written, but what if it's also he will what? Or go where? Petition whom? Like, maybe those are, you know, it's a weird verse I came up with in my head. But <laughs> but so it could be what is written, but it could also be any of those other things. And so instead of starting at uh, it is written and then giving that entire quotation, then the quiz master asks what your question is, and you have no idea. It's a guess at that point. But if you start at the end of the verse and say, petition God, uh, go to heaven, uh, he will go to heaven and petition God, it is written, blah, 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 blah. And then the quiz master asks you for your question, you can say what is written. And it is true 95% of the time that if you do that, that's going to give you a better chance of guessing the correct question. There are weird exceptions. I don't have any off the top of my head. Scott, maybe you do. But um, most of the time, that's going to be the best way to answer off just the verse. Yeah, the only weird exceptions would be like the 50-50 ones where you have to guess right the first time now. Or, I don't know, maybe some verse has some weird weird clauses in it. Um, but for the most part, quoting backwards is going to... I mean. Really, quoting backwards is foolproof enough that you don't need to worry about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, again, it's super weird. Like, I, we can probably remember circumstances, quiz mastering, where, like, the quiz the quizzer got it wrong, and we were like, wow, that was weird. They didn't have any way to figure that one out if they quoted backwards. <laughs> it's so uncommon. All right, cool. Any other parting thoughts about reference questions? I think that... Um, just think of them as interrogative questions where you ha- we have to give you a little bit more material. That's it. Um, and material knowledge is going to trump all. Everything else is l- like should come after as far as making any lists or we didn't even talk about Quizmaster inflection on verse numbers and or chapters where there's just two CRMAs in, in a five-verse context. Like all that comes after like knowing what the difference is between a CR, a CVR, and an interrogative and knowing the material well with references. And then after that, a lot of people would be able to help you on, you could call them the finer points or the secondary points, or, you know, the that's the last 20%. Right. 100%. Yep. Study the references. <laughs> no way around that. <laughs> yeah, there's no way around studying. There's no cheat code for studying uh, other than time, uh, which, of course, isn't a cheat code. All right, and on that bombshell, let's uh, move on to our next topic. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about evangelism since we are not really officially done with our very weird 2019-2020 season, I guess technically because we've got internationals uh, coming up in about a month and a week or something, I guess. It's not that far away. Wow. Um but uh, we're very nearly at the end of our season. And of course, we're only about three something, three and a half months away from the beginning of the new season, at least in, in Pacific Northwest. And every district's going to be a little bit different about what their schedules are, are like. By the way, for those of you who are in PNW, uh, next year's schedule is posted up on the website. So you can check that out if you would like to and are not part of the internationals team. Because if you're part of the internationals team, you shouldn't care about 
about next season yet, please. Um, so given where we are, uh, kind of almost between seasons, I wanted to talk a little bit about quizzing evangelism, basically how to get quizzing to grow both within a church, uh, interchurch, or say intra-district. How do you expand quizzing within your district? And then how do you expand quizzing beyond the borders of your district, which is another way of saying, how do we create districts that don't, or not so much create districts because the districts are there. How do we cause a district that is currently not quizzing to maybe consider quizzing? And how do we sort of make that process happen? Because certainly churches exist there. So I would sort of throw out this idea that I think from my perspective, evangelism for quizzing needs to begin now uh, for next season. Now is the best, absolute best time. I know it's it's a weird, really, really weird time to think about evangelizing an in-person uh, you know, youth sporting event, uh, Christian sporting event uh, for the fall, because we're starting to head into summer, number one. Number two, a lot of us, in fact, probably most of us are still either at stay-at-home con- uh, considerations or uh, have some sort of limitations for in-person meetings and so forth. So, And we're coming out of this sort of weird, you know, what has it been, a couple of months now? More than a couple of months of just sort of weirdness, right? Uh but nevertheless, now is the time to evangelize. And you can do that very simply by just contacting everybody that you know. Uh, anybody at churches that don't have quiz programs, contact them, encourage them, talk to them. Uh, there's uh, different sort of processes by which you can go about doing this. Quizzers have a huge positive impact uh, on this if a quizzer talks to a, a, a somebody who's a you know middle school junior high high school from uh, a church that doesn't have quizzing and talks to them about quizzing and says yeah yeah you should talk to some other folks from your church and see if you can get a team together go out and find a parent or or maybe somebody from the college group who's willing to be your coach and you can work it that way so quizzers absolutely have a huge possible role in sort of sparking things going. Uh, parents and coaches, you guys have a huge opportunity as well to talk to potential uh, possible coaches. You can talk to the pastors of a church, but I would say in my experience that probably is not going to be worth your time. There's always exceptions. I mean, there are some pastors who hear about it and are like, wow, this is really cool. Tell me more. Uh, I can't deal with it myself, but let me find you somebody. And they, they will and maybe even announce it in front of their church. Is there, is there anybody who's interested in this? And it can go and, and grow into something from that regard. But by and large, pastors are super busy. And, you know, heavily distracted with, with a lot of things. They're very focused sort of inward toward their congregation. Uh, so unless you have a really good relationship with that pastor from another church, they're, they're mostly not gonna, uh, you know, pick up the ball and run with it. But, uh, you know, talking to, you know, parents talking to other parents, uh, you know, uh, college folks, uh, talking to other college folks from, from churches. That's a really great way of kind of spreading the idea. But the biggest obstacle, I think, at least in my experience with evangelism and quizzing, is in talking to people who haven't experienced quizzing, it's really, really hard to explain what quizzing is. Uh, At least for me, I find it very, like, I'll I'll explain, like, the, what I can 
put together sort of the elevator pitch for quizzing. And oftentimes I sort of get these sort of blank stares or like the, oh, that sounds great, Griffin. I'm glad you like that program. Walk away slowly while smiling kind of experience, right? Um, that's normal. Don't feel disillusioned by that. Uh, but... Uh, unless they call you Griffin, that would be weird. They shouldn't do that. But anyway, um, don't feel disillusioned by that experience. Rather, you're planting these seeds. You're planting the idea of quizzing in people's minds. And maybe seven or eight times out of ten, nothing ever comes from it. But the one or two or three times where it does, it can actually be the spark that grows into a team. And when a team experiences quizzing for the first time, uh, when, when quizzers experience quizzing for the first time, there's that sort of like, oh, I get it now. This sort of the aha moment. And there's a certain, a certain level of, um, energy, excitement, enthusiasm, connectiveness that happens as a result of that. So you're, you're not trying to, when you're evangelizing, you're not trying to get a church to be excited about quizzing. You're, you're really just trying to get a church to be interested in giving it a try, right? Because then quizzing can do everything else. And maybe it's not even quizzing, maybe it's the Holy Spirit. But there are other factors beyond your evangelizing that really kind of takes the spark and, and kind of fans it into a big flame, right? Uh, so how do you go about doing this? It's just like find other contacts from other churches, email, call, visit, uh, anybody that you have within your network, certainly it helps. I think it certainly helps if you can talk to people from other churches who have some sort of experience or exposure to quizzing because it's less difficult to explain what quizzing is, but really anybody and everybody just try to talk to them. And now is the time to talk to them because you got to talk to them probably about three times before they finally say like, okay, yeah, I should actually do something about this. And then they need some time to actually do something about it. Right? So if you talk to them maybe once a week for three weeks, and then they're like, okay, great. I need to talk to some quizzers to form a team. And that takes, you know, three or four weeks. Uh, then they need to put, you know, maybe come together and try practicing once or twice. And then the very next week is the scramble meet, right? So that's, that's how fast the summer, uh, goes through. And so that's why I, I say like now really is the time that we should be evangelizing as much as possible. So, um, Scott, Jeremy, what do you guys think? Countering ideas, additional ideas? What do you think? I think I agree that it's it's a numbers game and um, people that try it definitely like it at a very high rate. Um, but it seems foreign and weird and people um, have lots of responsibilities already. And those are big um, impediments to trying it. So I think... Quizzers are going to be the best evangelists to their friends because this sounds bad, but you can kind of get your friends to try anything. Um, or you're, you will listen to your friend when they say, hey, you want to try Bible quizzing? Um, more than adult us can try to convince other adults about another activity to join. Um, and yeah, just people that you already know or people that already have some experience with quizzing are going to be the easiest. And once there are programs involved that make it easier for either additional youth in that church or people around to join, then it's all easier from that route rather than trying to find a church where no one has ever quizzed before and start something there. Yeah. I don't, 
really have anything to add myself. Speak to parents, speak to kids, encourage the kids to speak to other kids. I mean, that's the best way you're going to evangelize for sure. Yeah. And in PNW, we do have some advantages at the district level. So uh, Kaylee is, I forget her official title, but it's like greeter and like evangelist, I think, or, or evangelist and greeter head evangelist. I forget exactly what her title is. I should look it up. It's on the website, but we have somebody who is Kaylee, who is uh, very good at this sort of thing and is very engaged and interested in evangelizing quizzing. So if you have, if you are in PNW and you are interested in helping Kaylee out or trying to evangelize yourself, uh, please, you know, either email me or email Kaylee and uh that's a huge advantage that we have in in pnw she's great with follow-up the other advantage is well i don't know how much of an advantage it, it is but it is a thing is that i'm totally nuts about quizzing and so if you're in if you find some ch uh, you know church that wants to give quizzing a try and they're way far away someplace like Pendleton, Oregon or something. And I don't know, there's uh, uh, Walla Walla or Spokane or something. And they're like, yeah, we want to give quizzing a try. Let me know and I will drive or fly or somehow get out there uh, when able and uh, talk to folks in person and answer questions and so forth. So you don't have to necessarily do everything yourself. The goal here is, is get some sparks going, right? Talk to your friends, talk to your friends' friends, uh, and network out about quizzing. And let's see how many sparks that we can get uh, going here that we can fan up and turn into some fires uh, before the fall scramble meet, which is really not that far away. It's just a little over three months away. It may seem far, but that time goes very, very, very fast. So... All right, so let's move on a little bit. Let's talk about some material. Uh, let's talk about the differences between material years in general and some specifics between the difference between Hebrews Peter and now moving into Matthew. So um, I don't know. Uh, Jeremy, Scott, do you guys want to kind of kick this off? Yeah, I can start. So um, very, very generally, we have epistle years and then gospel years. The epistle years are generally shorter and the gospel years are generally longer. And gospel years, we have situation questions and epistle, uh, and epistle years, we don't. So those are like just the biggest, highest level differences. But recently, Jeremy and I were talking about um, different question types and how um, they are like specific question types are best suited to test certain kinds of material. And we weren't even talking about necessarily gospel versus epistle, but various sorts of structures of material. So we wanted to have Jeremy on and um, talk about first off, like what material or years or types of material can be tested well by existing question types and existing rules and which types of material can't be. Yeah. Um, so I know that we we're talking generally, we're supposed to be at least at first, but I think it'd be easiest to reference Matthew because what prompted this is uh, my own question writing in Matthew and inter interfacing with other editors and stuff. So uh, one thing I was noticing in Matthew is just the, the massive difference uh, between Matthew and any other year that I'm aware of when it comes to reference questions, um, how much longer in particular Matthew reference questions are. Um, there's so many places where the same phrase is used in the exact, like, it'll be like 10 words in a row that are the same. 
And uh, I don't want to go down a huge list of those and, and give away all the good reference questions from next year. Uh, but there's some real gnarly ones. And I don't remember any other quiz year with quite that, quite as good. I mean, they're good reference questions. Uh, it's not that they're they're bad. They're almost, um, they're kind of on the trickier side because like we were talking about earlier, um, reference questions that are longer can be harder. But um, so that's kind of what prompted all of this. And then there's other things in Matthew that uh, made me realize this. For example, uh, the phrase, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That kind of famous uh, teaching of Jesus in the book of Matthew, that exact phrase, like all those words I just said, I'm pretty sure that's verbatim the quote. Those, that happens in two different verses in Matthew. And there's no way to ask those verses other than a quote question. There's no, I mean, you can do a bad reference question by doing something like what will be bound in heaven, but it's the same answer both times. So, so when we're considering the question of like what material can be tested well by existing rules, well, we used to have cross-references in quizzing way long ago where you could ask a question from a material that happens the exact same way multiple times. And um, we don't have that anymore. And I feel like verses like this, which, and this is a super relevant verse in Matthew, uh, this is an important teaching in the Gospel of Matthew. Like, if you take any any course on the Gospel of Matthew at, like, a Bible college, you'll talk a lot about binding and loosing. Uh, but we can't ask any questions on it except a quote question. So that's just one observation. Um, I think we you talked about, or we talked about, um, consecutive verses more than two in a row, but that encompass a whole thought where the whole thought is not really talked to like fully fleshed out in the two verses that we're allowed for a finish the verse or a quote yeah we did talk about that the other day so that's another scenario that can't be tested very well so we have long narratives like the beatitudes where you can't write any situation questions after the first few because they're more than the second verse from the beginning of the quotation so there's just no there's and jesus is not like reintroduced as like you know, it's not like eight verses in, there's a Jesus said, where then we can re- kind of reset and say like, okay, Jesus said these things. I mean, we know that, that he did, but, um, and ask reference questions off of all those quotations. Um, so long narratives where the speaker is not reintroduced is another thing that we can't really test in quizzing. I mean, we can test it as just interrogative questions and reference questions and all those other types, but we can't introduce it as a quotation attached with um, testing who said it. Very true. Which, I mean, it makes sense. That rule makes sense. But it is kind of weird that we can't ask who said it, you know, and have like one of the later Beatitudes that's not in the first five verses <laughs> be asked as who said it with Jesus being the answer. Um, we have notes here on back and forth exchanges. Does that ring any bells? Uh, potentially, I guess, talking about, uh, and this is particularly common in Matthew, but in all of the narrative years, there's, you know, uh, dialogues between especially Jesus and like the Pharisees or whatever, where he'll be like, what do you think about this? And the Pharisees will be like, oh, this. And then Jesus will say, well, then why does the scripture say this? And there's this back and forth where they're kind of asking rhetorical questions of each other. And I find that it's very difficult to write good questions based off that material other than situation questions, because you'll often end up with a weird circumstance where you, you have uh, an interrogative word, but you also have like, from the material, there's a question word. Oh, so I think one of that one of them that we were talking about was um, when Jesus asked, "Which of the two did what his father wanted?" Uh, talking about the the sons who who go, or what what is that context about? Um, looking it up real quick. Oh, the the um, 
the two sons who go work in the vineyard in chapter 21. Um, so Jesus asks, which of the two did what his father wanted? And they answer the first. And so one of my questions was, so do we have to write this as like, which of the two did what? Or could we just write the whole question, which of the two did what his father wanted? And then the answer of the interrogative question would be the first. Um, <laughs> that's kind of an interesting question to me. Um, and I brought that up. So I don't, know I don't think, think is which a form of who the interrogative word who or uh, is it listed in the rule book as such? Oh, which is a valid interrogative question. Yeah. Then I think you could because you're just inserting an interrogative word at the beginning or the end. So it fulfills that requirement. And then I don't know that I would consider it to be tricky or misleading or invalid by any other means. Sure. Yeah. Oh, another one that came up is like, uh, whose image is this and whose inscription? When Jesus is talking about the coin that uh, they show him with Caesar's face on it. And image and inscription are both unique words. So I guess we could ask, like, whose image is what, you know, um, and then we could ask, and whose what, with the answer inscription. So those would be two different interrogatives. But why not, like, just ask whose inscription? And then the answer would be Caesar's, because that's the answer that Jesus's audience provides within the context. So those are sort of less conventional ways of asking questions, but I think I think they're valid. Um, and I think there are better ways of testing this material potentially than just what, what, blah, 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 what, or who, blah, 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 what. Um, so. And I think you also were talking about some of the decisions made in gospel years to include or not include parts of the material and how they might leave out key concepts presented in the gospels, but duplicate some concepts. Yeah. So all four narrative years, uh, well, actually, no, not all four. We do all of John, but the other three narrative years, we skip sections. And uh, I can't remember the exact chapter numbers for Luke off the top of my head, but I know in Matthew we skip 13, 23, 24, and 25, um, and in Acts we do the first 20. So Matthew in particular is one where I feel like we might be able to revise this, uh, the, what we choose to skip. And uh, the reason why is that particularly the, the 23 through 25 section has some of the most important stuff in Matthew. Uh, so the parable of the sheep and the goats that's probably the most significant Matthew-exclusive parable. Um, like, it's really long. There's lots of verses. So Jesus clearly considers it one of the more significant parables within that gospel. Um, but it's also just super important, like, in Christian theology, in Christian discussion, questions about, you know, dis true discipleship. Um, you know, whatever we don't do to the least of these, we don't do to Jesus. And whatever we do do to them, we do do to Jesus. So, um, you know, encouraging us to uh, take care of the people around us and um, treat them like we would treat Jesus. And that's, we just skip it in quizzing. I have no idea why. <laughs> um, there's plenty of stuff that we do in Matthew that we also do when we do Luke. And I would think that if we're going to skip material, we should probably be skipping in such a way that all of the Matthew unique material is being quizzed on and all of the Luke unique material is being quizzed on. Uh, instead of skipping some of the most significant stuff in Matthew. Now, I haven't looked at Luke in a while, so I can't necessarily speak to what we skip there. But certainly with Matthew, I'd like to see some changes, I think. And I recall you also having thoughts about GEPC year and potentially including, um, it wasn't, was it Philemon in one of the years? Uh, yeah, I think other quiz programs do Philemon in the GEPC year. We, I don't know if we used to or not. But I not think since we I used to. Quizzing. I think we used to, like a long time ago, though. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't wasn't in my time. 
Well, so I think what we were talking about, Scott, is um, just how much variance there is from year to year in terms of how many verses we study. So when we do John, I think it's something like 870 verses, somewhere around Mm -hmm. there. And then when we do Hebrews and First and Second Peter, it's in the 400s. And that's a huge difference. <laughs> and you can see in how quizzers jump uh, that there's just faster jumps at internationals on Hebrews and Peter. Um, very few chapters this quiz year have had even like, even like enough verses to get into the 20s and 30s. So it's a huge difference. Um, and I, I wonder... For me, personally, this is different for everybody, but I actually find narrative material more difficult to memorize for reasons kind of you were stating before, Scott, with like the he said, they answered. Word perfect memory is very difficult on narrative years. And we also do twice as many verses um, in comparison. So I'm wondering if we can't sort of even this out a little bit and add material to some of our epistle years. And GEPC would be a great candidate for that, as would... Um, Hebrews and First and Second Peter. I think we definitely need to add something to Hebrews and First and Second Peter because it just feels so small, even in comparison to like the other epistle years. Um, and of course, there's lots of great choices uh, we could do. First John's amazing. Uh, First John would be fantastic quiz material. Uh, we skip over First and Second Timothy and Titus entirely. Those are huge books when it comes to uh, New Testament, you know, understanding. So, I mean, those are some options. We could get super fun and. I don't know, throw Revelation in there. <laughs> there's all sorts of things we could do. But uh, if we just wanted to add a few books to some of these epistle years and pad them out, there's lots of options. So here's a question. When we talk about writing quiz questions, we we stress that you shouldn't be trying to write really easy or really hard questions. You should just try to write really good questions. And then there's this random mix of kind of difficulty out there. Do you think there's any value to having a more, like not really random, but a mix of um, material types, material lengths, and material difficulties among the cycle? Well, I, I do. Um, certainly types, for sure. I love that we have narrative and epistle years and that we go back and forth between them so that there's a good evening out and that quizzers will get to try both because they are different. And it's not just the situation questions, it's the memorization of it, as well as the content. So I love that about quizzing. Um, and I think... But when it comes to the amount of material, uh, yeah, I think it's good that there's some variation. I just think that it's too large. I think the gap between John and Hebrews Peter is nuts. I mean, any quizzer who was able to memorize all of John could do Hebrews in First and Second Peter in just a few months, by comparison. Just the same amount of work per week, you can get it done so much faster. So I don't know. I, I think that's more my point, is I'd like to see that, the amount of material, even out. Do you have any interesting thoughts to jump in with, Griffin? I don't know how interesting. I mean, my mind is sort of spinning around all the possible options for books that we can include. I I really love the idea of including Timothy. Um, I'm trying to remember how large they are relative to like where we could slip them in. I'd love to see Jude. Titus would be great. Um, So, I mean, Titus is a tiny little thing too. So, you know, yeah, like there's lots of options. So how would you guys feel about including, so like, you know, Hebrews, first and second Peter, three books, um, all of them short, first and second Peter, very short, uh, but they're all epistle years. How would you guys feel about having, I mean, we wouldn't, we would never do this because Matthew is huge, but in what, how, what would you think to like a Matthew Titus? 
Well, I would prefer to just add the missing chapters of Matthew rather than tack Titus onto it. Although I like the idea. I think maybe we could do Mark Hebrews if we were going to do something like that. Because a lot of people think Mark was actually the, the person behind Hebrews or that his ideas were recorded by whoever wrote Hebrews. So that could be kind of fun. And Mark is only like 600 verses. So it'd be a long year, but you could do it. That's interesting. I, I Not to take this down a scholarly pathway, but I always thought uh, Hebrews pe- predated Mark. I mean, Mark, obviously, the first gospel, um, very, very early. But I, I thought it was uh, Mark was still after Hebrews. Well, it's just a theory. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and there's a hundred theories on who wrote Hebrews. But it is one that has some widespread support among evangelical scholars. Um, interesting. But debatable. Well, I think it's Mark. Is it Peter? Oh, my goodness. I'm going to embarrass myself. It's been forever since I've looked at Hebrews. Okay, don't listen to me. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I've, I haven't heard. I haven't heard the theory. So, and I'm not really a you know a historical uh, scriptural scholar. I'm more of a you know church history history scholar and, and theologian. Um, but uh, I've always I I sort of have this fantasy of Hebrews being written by somebody other than Paul. Like I just sort of assume. Oh no! Wait, Paul was the author. No way. I well, agree with you there. Sure, I don't but think that, Paul that, was the author at all. But that's the conventional wisdom, right? The conventional wisdom is that it's Paul, um, for some reasons, mostly historic. Um, but there is definitely enough difference. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like Paul. But then again, maybe it is Paul who is talking to you know the Jews rather than talking to say the, you know, Greeks or the Romans. Right. And maybe he uses different phraseology when he's talking to, I mean, that's sort of the traditional argument is to say, well, you know, it's Paul, but it sounds different because he's talking to, to people who have the Jewish tradition, uh, you know, predominantly. And I'm like, well, okay. Um, then there, and then there's the, the crazy theories about Hebrews where it was like, well, it was actually Mary who, who wrote it. Um, which is really interesting. Um, I don't think that's true, but it's a very interesting theory. Um, All right. I know that we're already getting off topic here, but I'm going to indulge it a little further. So there's a lot of theories about different people like Mary writing Hebrews, but in Hebrews 11.32, when it says, I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, that I is actually a masculine participle. So it's not possible for a woman to have written Hebrews, at least if we hold that the scriptures are authoritative. <laughs> well, Which or, I, you know. or, or that they were transcribed from Greek to Greek to Greek uh, appropriately uh, before they were, tra- uh, you know, uh, changed over from gr- uh, the, our current versions of Greek into, uh, you know, Latin and then from Latin into German and then from German into English and, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Right. So, yeah, ye- well, I just, yes, I just remember I was arguing with one of my Bible profs about this at college at one point. And so that extremely specific detail yeah. is a thing. No, and I don't disagree. I think it's I think it's a bit of a far-fetched theory, but it is a very interesting theory. Um I I don't know I don't know where I come down. I think I generally uh I think you and I probably then differ because I I lean toward it probably being Paul, but I would it, I I would love, let's say I would love to be proven wrong because I would love it to be not Paul. Not because I don't like Paul. Don't get me wrong. I, I think Paul's a, Paul's the dude, right? Um, it's just that I think it's more interesting if it isn't Paul. 
So I think by virtue of the fact that we're disagreeing on this, that would probably mean the Mark Hebrews idea is a little too tenuous of a connection to build a quizier off of it. <laughs> well, yeah, but we wouldn't, we would never like, let's not build a quizier based on, you know, the authorship because I mean, Hebrews and Peter probably written by different people, maybe probably. Um, I mean, that doesn't really come into play. It's more sort of how would you feel about epistle material and narrative material being squished together and having therefore situation questions only on certain parts of the material, obviously only the narratives. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Well, because narratives themselves contain a lot of different genres of literature. You have obviously just stories of people going places and doing stuff, miracle stories, you have parables. So there's a lot of different things going on already in narratives, uh, particularly the gospels because of Jesus teaching style. But I think, um, I don't know. I, I could see it working, but the problem is all of our narrative years are already so packed. So I don't see like adding more material to the narrative years isn't necessarily, I think, what we want to do. It's more just we want to add more to the epistle years. But I don't know. Right. Well, um, I think adding to the, adding to the epistle years is an easy, it, relatively speaking, it's a relatively easy solution. Uh, and I think there's some good rationale behind it. Uh, adding Mark could be interesting. I like Mark. It's shorter. We would need to, it would be interesting in terms of the, the, you know, year cycles and, and all of that dynamic. There'd be, have to be some greater thought put into it. Um, but of course, one argument against including Mark into the material rotation is that it would destroy a whole bunch of quizzing memes. <laughs> quizzing memes? Yes. I'm, you know, I'm not familiar with these particular memes. Oh, like the quizzing memes where you've, you've got like the, 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 the three gospels over on one side and then Mark off to him off by himself. <laughs> and he's like, Mark, Mark doesn't get to be included. He, he, you know, he's a loner or like he's sad. He can't be involved in quizzing, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> well, I mean, I love Mark too, but I, I mean, we used to do Mark, didn't we? Do you know what Mark was replaced with? Cause I never quizzed on Mark, but I know we used to do it. I have never heard of Mark in quizzing. I don't think I've ever done Mark myself. I remember seeing internationals footage from way back when, and I think PNW was in the internationals finals on Mark and it was being shown to the internationals team that I was on as like a, you know, glory moments of PNW days past. But so I huh. could, yeah, I'm pretty sure we did it at one point. Hmm. Interesting. I think it could be also interesting to just figure out a way to add a year because we do have times because do we have a seven year rotation now or is it eight? It's eight. It is eight? Yeah. So that way um, if someone's super seniors, they don't repeat a year. Has it always been that way? Because I recall, or do we just have a, a one random case where a quizzer somehow quizzed nine years? And I was like, how did this happen? But it was already like done. I think it's been eight for a long time. I think part of it is is this goes beyond CMA quizzing, right? So like, I mean, it doesn't so much matter exactly what the Nazarenes do, although I think it really should. I think we should do more inter program quizzing. I think it's it would be very interesting to have CMA and Nazarene do more things together. Um, but the bigger thing is really world. Um, the whole point of world was to try to bring quizzers out from their respective quizzing communities and into sort of, you know, 
a world quizzing body, uh, if for only like a couple of meets uh, or one or two meets a year, that kind of thing. And so the idea with with sort of world is sort of the center spoke of the wheel of quizzing programs was the idea of saying, okay, well, we sort of at least need to be quizzing on the same book, right, for each given year, if we're going to have any chance of being able to uh, collaborate together. And so like, you know, this, this current year with our very weird situation towards the end of the year, it turned out there was a team from, uh, you know, central Washington that wasn't going to have a chance to quiz with Nazarene. And they were able to switch over and quiz with us, uh, which was fantastic. They were able to quiz in, uh, two, was it three? No, two of our virtual meets. Uh, and it was, it, or no, what, maybe it was three. I can't remember. Anyway, it was great to have them involved in whatever number of meets they were involved in. Uh, and they were able to do that because the Nazarene calendar and our calendar are synchronized. Yeah, there's interestingly, um, this is a little bit of a side point to that. Um, but the Assemblies of God denomination, which, if I'm not mistaken, has the most participation of any Bible quiz program um, over here, just in the United States, Uh they were on track with all the other quiz programs as well. And then a few years ago, they decided to do a what they call a T's and J's year. And that's literally what it sounds like. Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, James, or no, James has done it another year. Uh, John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Jude. So they just threw all of those like books that start with T and J that weren't already a part of a quiz cycle. And they threw it into one year. And so it was a bunch of different epistles. And now they're like one year behind everyone else because they added a ninth year to the schedule. So it's kind of interesting that that happened. Um, they uh, already are very different than our quiz program. They do push-button quizzing for one thing. but uh, So that's kind of interesting. There's already been some disruption of that across denominations. Yeah, yeah. That might be interesting to uh, consider doing that in CMA. Well, it would certainly get <laughs> uh, eliminate our concern that there's a lot of great books of the New Testament that get skipped over in our cycle. I mean, you just throw them all into this junk drawer, T's and J's here, and uh, and then you can do all, all of them. I mean, it's pretty cool if you ask me, but I think there are virtues to the eight-year cycle. I think adding a bunch of random years uh, just makes things a little bit harder on question writers. Um, so, you know, it's it's. I think there's virtues to that choice and, and vices to it, but it is an interesting thought. Yeah. Well, any last thoughts on material? No, I just thought it was an interesting discussion that Jeremy and I had about, you know, some material just can't be tested well at all by the existing rule set and question type set, which admittedly is a small number of verses, but they're definitely definitely out there. And so we just kind of have to shoehorn existing question types in to ask ask them in a slightly awkward manner. Yeah, indeed. All right. Well, and on that bombshell, let's wrap things up. I want to remind everybody that we would very much like to hear from you. If you are a listener, please email us at iq at cbqz.org. You can follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter account is at Inside Quizzing. And you can also chat with us in near real time, if not exactly real time, on our Slack uh, channel. Uh, so go to pnwquizzing.org org slash slack and uh, then you'll be able to sign up and join the inside quizzing 
channel on our Slack forums and ask stuff away. We're, I don't know, I tend to lurk there most of the day because I tend to work in front of a computer most of the day. So uh, between either Scott or myself or Jeremy or anybody else, we'll usually be fairly responsive through these various different mediums. And with that, I will say thank you to everybody and thank you, Jeremy, and thank you, Scott. Thanks, everyone. Happy listening. Thanks for having me on, guys.